Hello and welcome to the Black Women Working Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again today. Ladies, how are we? All good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Rachel, you're good, yeah? Yeah, I'm good. Sorry, I'm I'm just picking on you today. (laughs) Okay, so today we are being joined by the lovely Chloe Pierre, who is the author of a newly published book, a very, very important book for Black women. And it's called Take Care, The Black Women's Guide to Wellness. Um, Welcome, Chloe. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me, ladies. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for writing this book. Um, I think it's really, really important for Black women to kind of claim more space in the wellness movement. Obviously, we'll talk about that a lot more, but it was just so good to read a book about wellness, self-care, about self written by a black woman for black women so thank you very much for doing this um so in case our listeners don't know chloe is the black female founder of thyself which is a movement that she was inspired to launch in october 2018 after struggling to find a space that resonated to her within the wellness movement and chloe's mission which she's going to tell us a lot more about is to make wellness more approachable and accessible to people that its origins are derived from Wow, a bar. Chloe is also a digital marketing consultant for some of the biggest global brands, including Nike, Jordan, BBC, and H&M. So let's get into it. So as usual, Chloe, could you just like tell us like a little bit about yourself, about thyself, um, and just kind of how you kind of started on that journey to create that platform and then even write the book? And we are also joined by Zuri. (laughs) Yeah, by Master Crumble, <laughs> as he is known on the internet. Um, he's he, This boy wants to make his debut and <laughs> I'm just blocking his um, his shine. You're actually blocking his blessing right about now. Yeah. So but, you need to you let know, him shine. Sorry, hun. It's called protection and it's my way right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I was inspired to, write, uh, to start myself, mainly because I felt as if it was all too often and all too uncomfortable for me to be the only black plus-sized body in a room full of people who were like wellness enthusiasts. And, you know, it was, I, I always felt intimidated or uncomfortable, which is something that I don't think black people, black women and people of color are often too comfortable to say out loud or are validated in that experience. So I set out to start that community. I just felt as if it came from a selfish place. I wanted to be able to experience wellness. I wanted to make myself feel better. I wanted to have a different outlet outside of what I was told was safe spaces or forms of, you know, release. I wanted to explore that and I wanted to have the privilege to do that, but I wanted to do it with like-minded people and people that look like me, essentially. Um, There was nothing like that. You know, to say in 2023, um, I wanted to create a space for Black women or just people of part of uh, an intersection in well-being is not like groundbreaking, but in 2018, which is not that long ago, it was, it was unheard of. I had people tell me that it wouldn't work, that really, 
yeah, I had people tell me that it wouldn't work. They didn't get it. For ages, people didn't get it. I still get messages, people telling me they don't get what thyself is. And I, at this point in my career, I'm very proud to say that I can turn around and say, well, then it clearly isn't for you then, you know, because um, at this point, I shouldn't really be explaining wellness and my experience as a Black woman to anyone. Yeah. Uh, nor the need for spaces like it. I do think it's interesting that we kind of always have to explain our existence, especially yes. kind of corporate it's probably corporations and organizations that want to partner with you that are telling you they don't understand what you do, which is what I always kind of find a bit bizarre about those those instances. Um but kind of moving separately on because somebody did get get thyself because they offered you a book deal. So how what was that process? like and how did that work I think that I personally manifested the book deal I was mm-hmm. approached by my publisher to write a book it came wow. at the height of I think it was the first break of the lockdown so I think it was like when oh, we okay. first were allowed that March out. 2022 2020 sorry yes it was definitely 2020 so we had been through part lockdown yeah 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 no, no, I li- I'm lying. So it happened before the lockdown. Okay. They reached out to me and I honestly thought, I'm not ready. Who am I? That imposter syndrome was so heightened at that point. I was still finding my feet with myself. Um, I was trying to scale up. I was trying to do all of these things, managing a million and one things. And I thought, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want to do. But it's not the right time. Oh, okay. Um, and the editors who came up with it, they really thought there was a huge need for it. And of course there was. And what was to follow afterwards just seemed like, I mean, it was both like a blessing and a curse. We fell into a pandemic. Mm. Obviously there was the um, tragedy of George Floyd's death and that being such a social phenomenon. Mm. Um, So there was all of that. During that time, I then found out I was pregnant. I then went through domestic violence. Um, So I feel like there were so many things that happened that it could have made or break this, made or broken this opportunity. But I don't know, by some grace... I managed to get through it. So I think above myself and above any other situation that happened, it really showed that there was a need for it and that it had to continue. And the fact that I've got such incredibly heartwarming and honest and emotional responses from it is just incredible. The fact that I've been supported by even people outside of the demographic, which is Black women, mm-hmm. has been really, really good too. And what I like most is that sometimes, I, you know, there's a guy that I grew up with or worked with at a young age, because I've been working since I was 16. Yeah. He bought the book and he was like, of course, the book is not set out for someone like me, but he said, I'm really glad to have that at home and in our library so my girls can read that growing up. And I was like, that is possible. That's great. That is change, you know. That's what I want to see outside yeah. of our demographic. So there's work to be done. It's not just a book for Black women. It's a book from the lens of a Black woman, especially a Black British woman, because often 
we're not covered in that space. Yeah. It's always um, from the American, from the US side. Yeah, exactly. And there's a whole diaspora out there. And I hope that people across the diaspora, whether that's Europe, whether it's other places in Africa, where, wherever it is, that they feel seen and that they feel encouraged to do to do the same job, to like share their stories and to find wisdom and find their wellness within that wisdom. No, absolutely. And I just think, I know that you kind of talked about the timing and things that's happened, but when a project is as necessary as this, it doesn't really matter how many obstacles it comes across you personally or for the book, whether you had issues with the publishers or whatnot, it's always going to come out because it needs to be done. So it's just a blessing that it actually got here and it's what hopefully what you wanted it to be and it's impacting and touching so many people. So, you know, it might not come on our personal timetables, but when it's meant to be done, it will always get done. So I think one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, because when I was reading through the book, some of the chapters, I was like, oh, it's nice that this chapter is in here, but how would you decide like which chapters would go well how did you decide like, which chapters would go in a book because wellness is so broad and a lot of people don't understand wellness so how did you kind of have that I'm going to talk about this but maybe not talk about that but I definitely have to talk about this how did you how did that process go yeah so I from the moment I had that meeting and I discussed what it was what we were going to create and why we were going to create it I had a set idea of what I was doing and who, what kind of chapters were going to be in there. It wasn't fully formed and there was a few edits, but essentially what you see in the book is what I initially proposed. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so it has stayed quite true to that initial first meeting and that initial um, concept. Um, as well, there was a few variations, but we took out a few chapters because I think we covered them in like the first two. So I needed to break down what wellness is and what it could be. I wanted to dispel like any kind of myths around that. Um, I wanted to touch base on things that people needed to know, like where the term self um, care was. Let me say that again. I needed to break down where the term self care was coined from and like the origins yeah exactly of well-being because we need to start seeing ourselves in these spaces in these movements our ancestry in them because what the world would like you to believe is that we didn't it's like we just came here and we all evolved from slavery when that is just absolutely yeah. ridiculous when you think about the origins of well uh, of medical wellness and mm. the medical pr- practice in general you know you've got people talking about the Romans and like the Greeks and it's like where did they learn that from yeah. but really all of that has been it's not even been erased it's just held in a special in special places far out of our reach and far yeah. out of the reach of everyone it's not ju- I'm not just talking about black people it's kept so far away from us so no one knows that so we can all be controlled um yeah. believe mean- certain things you know yeah, it's it's kind of interesting when you were breaking down a history because someone, well, when I was reading it, I was kind of like history to wellness. I thought it was going to start like 19, like definitely 19th or 20th century. The fact that you took it all the way back historically, then I suppose that was pretty naive of me, especially when you think about meditative processes, um, things like yoga, things like, pr- like prayer, manifestation, visualization. These things are not something that was just discovered in the 20th century. They are part of, of, kind of lived society and community as we know it they're a major facet of spirituality and spirituality didn't just start five minutes ago or in the last generation or with the boomers so that was actually quite fascinating for me to see that because I suppose 
I just kind of assumed that it was this new, not a fad, but this new thing that everybody's talking about and everybody's jumping on and not really respecting that it's probably got thousands and thousands of years worth of heritage before we could even, you know, understand or grasp what the concept wellness is. Because it's only something I've been hearing in the last, I would say, five years. How old am I? I would say five to ten years properly at this level. I nearly baited out my age, but, you know, my lady never tells. But it's just interesting for you to kind of break down, like, the the history. So I would encourage everyone who does read the book to specifically read that chapter because that was really, really insightful. And I think one thing that I really liked about the book is you actually break down what is wellness. And I thought that was so important because there's so many different types of, of wellness. And, and so how did you kind of find out, not find out, but how did you learn about these different these areas because there can be like spiritual wellness, environmental wellness. There's so many different, so many different types. How did you kind of break it down in such a nice, easy, simplified way? A uh, nice, easy, simplified way <laughs> doesn't exist. It took a lot and a lot of edit. Well, you made it look good. You made it look good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I, as I said, I had thyself. So it was always a passion of mine. I didn't get paid to, I mean, do I still get paid to do anything thyself? Probably not. But um, I did, I was on this journey already and I found this out and I'm constantly on this journey and I'm always discovering new things like environmental wellness. I only discovered that probably like the year of writing the book, you know, when environmental and climate change and all of those kind of conversations were happening. I think the key to this book is that we see ourselves in all of these movements and all of these parts of history and, you know, the wisdom of wellness. We need to see ourselves as Black women, specifically, in these, you know, intersections, into in these parts of, you know, the world. Because, you know, and yeah, we just have to see it because we are a massive part of it. We can't be erased from these things it does us no justice to think that it's someone else's problem and someone else is going to fix it and we're going to be included in that view because we're not so we have to have an active role we have to play an active role and we have to be educated on this it's no longer someone else's job to educate us or to speak for us because they're not speaking for us in my opinion they never are yeah they aren't. So it's about time that we take those things into control, uh, into our own hands. And, you know, there's people going into areas of entertainment. And I think that's fantastic because representation is, representation is key. But we need to also be covered in other areas. There's, you know, not many people that sit in wellness discussions. You know, I've actually seen mm-hmm. and argued with people that create diverse diverse panels or conversations yeah. around diversity and wellness and not one person falls into the category of diverse and what is diverse you know there's that's a good question diversity. there's medical diversity there's um race which I hate the word race there's race diversity and they're not covering any of those things gender you know yeah. um um you know, sexuality, there's so many things. And I just wanted to make that known. Yeah. Like a diverse panel isn't even just an all black panel. That's not diverse, you know. No, but we need goes, to be goes the other extreme the other way. Yeah, exactly. But we need to be a part of the conversation and we need to be represented in all of these areas. And especially when it comes to environmental wellness, there's definitely not enough representation there. 
No, definitely. So I think um, one chapter that really struck me that I personally really enjoyed was the grief chapter. Because, um, again, when I saw it, I was just like, wow, she's covering this. But then I don't know why you wouldn't cover this in a book about wellness, because grief is one of those things that nine times out of 10 is unexpected in the way that you'll react to it and the way that you'll see it um, in your life or unfold in your life is completely you know, unexpected or una- you're unable to predict it. But one thing I really liked about that chapter was the way you kind of talked about our rituals, especially as a Caribbean person, like having you kind of break down nine night and how we uh, how we mourn. And I went to a nine night on Friday as well, so it was really pertinent because I was kind of going back through the book to prepare for the episode. And that was one of the things that I picked up. And then being there, it was like a kind of reminder just to enjoy these cultural moments and cultural collective mourning. And so like kind of what was going through your head when you were writing that chapter? I think it was the reality of everything that I had been through and seeing what a lot of the community had gone through. You know, back to that question where you said, how did I even come up with these chapters? I was inspired by the people that I'm around, the people that I work with, especially the people that I work with through thyself who are very open and like the lines of communication are so open. They're like, we want to talk about this or we want you to cover this because this is what I'm struggling right now. And everything was Mm. pointed to grief a lot, especially over that time and just in recent years as well. And there wasn't enough on it, especially there were groups that I absolutely love. Um, Can't remember the names now, but there's a few community groups around grief that are fantastic. But do they have the black element? Do they have the that kind of that kind of cultural yeah understanding or awareness. yeah and are black people going there in their times of need no no because they we're almost told that this is the way grief we have to go through grief especially even with the nine night that is a tradition that we've kept on or we've held on to and you know it's changed a little bit but and it has major origins when you look back in time or if you go back in history and you look at other cultures within the continent of Africa, I'm talking about, within that continent, you can see where the Nine Night comes from and you can see the celebration of life prior to slavery, you know? So I just wanted to draw on that and I wanted people to understand that you know, there's a reason that we celebrate it like this. There's a reason why we look at it like this. And there's so many reasons why we look at it like this. Um, but how about we look at it through a lens of almost being proud of where we come from and that despite everything, we were able to hold on to this um, mm-hmm. and how to move through it with hope. I think that's the thing with grief is that you almost feel as if like there's no hope. So to kind of spin that around is something that I wanted to do. I, I don't want to shove that whole positivity narrative down people's throats because there's such a thing as toxic, uh, toxic positivity. But I wanted people to feel a little bit hope, hopeful when they're reading this book. So I thought of specific people that were struggling during that time. And I think each of the chapters, there was people or a number of people that I was thinking of And that helped it be like to be really, you know, authentic, should I say? You know, that chapter for me was something that really resonated as well. And I was quite um, excited to read it because I kind of wanted to understand 
um, how you'd approach it. And I like the way that you specifically kind of coined the fact that grief isn't just related to um, somebody passing away. Grief can be a loss of relationship, loss of friendships, so many different aspects of life. And it was interesting for me to see how you described that as even though that grief exists for you, it's a driver in your life and necessary for the existence, such as magical moments for magical moments. I guess it was challenging to me in a sense because I don't necessarily believe that everything happens for a reason or a good reason. So I guess the question that I wanted to ask for those who see loss as just purely loss, like cannot find any really positive way through it. Do you think that um, developing reasoning around it is crucial for healing? Or do you think that is possible for someone who just really... um, regards it in that negative format as in I've lost something here to still be able to reach a place of healing I think everything is relative and I do think it's very it's very much a journey that you have to go on and I say that having been there myself I could never even look at grief as being a positive I was scared of if we're talking about grief through death I was scared of that I was also scared of grief through loss of friends and loss of family. And that's something that I'm still coming to grips with, but it's something that I understand as a necessary part of this journey that we have at our side, that we have to get to grips with it. Um, And getting to grips with it is like, it's not premeditating those experiences, but it's being open to them and open to understanding them before they happen in order to not be so overwhelmed and basically decapitated when it happens. Mm. So for me, I do think, I think everyone should go through their journey however they feel comfortable. And maybe like acceptance of the fact that we, every well, every single one of us is going to experience grief in this lifetime. So I guess there is that sense of if we accept that that's something that we're going to encounter in life, we'll be better equipped to deal with it in whatever format it kind of takes moving forward. And there was just one other bit in that grief section as well that I wanted to ask you about, because you spoke, you had a section in there about not running away from your feelings when it comes to grief. And I thought that was really interesting. How do you advise people to kind of not run from grief when they still have to be present in, say, their workplace? And I'll use an example that I encountered in in my life you know a couple of years ago or many jobs ago um there was a colleague of mine who lost a baby at quite a late stage so she was visibly pregnant we'd seen her all around the business and shortly after that happened an email was sent to the whole company um, to let us know that that had occurred and I personally thought that was such a radical way to deal with that kind of loss in the workplace because it really doesn't happen it's not usually addressed Sometimes it's just a case of someone was there and they were pregnant and the next thing you know, they're never there again and no one ever speaks about it again. So I wonder how dealing with grief in that way kind of changed the trajectory of her grief journey. Obviously, I can't ask her that question, but I wonder if that really helped her to come to terms with it, just having everyone know the situation that she was going through so she didn't have to kind of hide it or answer a thousand questions about it. So I don't know, what do you... I don't it I mean it seems, sounds a bit mad asking you what do you recommend but in your personal opinion and bearing in mind the experiences that you've been through how do you think um what might be a good way of kind of dealing with grief openly in that context 
I think the key to dealing with anything openly is to do it with consent. So I don't think any one of us have the answers to anything. But I think we sometimes cope well as a society doing certain things and having certain practices. But that might last for 2020, but that might not last for the rest of, you know, that century or even, you know, longer. I think it's about consent. So I'm assuming they would have received her consent to send that out. I personally feel as if, to some degree, that was good. To some degree, I don't know if that was good. It's Mm. hard to say. Maybe to the people that she would have worked with quite closely, that would have been quite helpful. Um, to have a company-wide message. I don't know how useful that would have been for her mm. in terms of her privacy and her, yeah, her privacy, basically. But at the same time, it's a reminder to people, especially people that there's a lot of people that don't live in, like, the present. There's a lot of people that like to avoid things. So, um yeah, my goal, uh, my what I would say to them is that, yeah, I mean, it's a hard one. I'd just like to chime in here because, and I know, I know Rachel are going to talk about the chapter on motherhood shortly, but I, I've worked in places where with grief, they're like, if it's not your mum, your dad or your child, you don't get time off. And it's like, hold on a second, do you know who my godmother is to me? Do you know who my auntie is to me? Like, we come from big extended families. And so, therefore there is always a layer of what it means to be black, even though you're dealing with things that everybody deals with. We don't necessarily experience or have to, or respond or required to respond in the same way. And so, um, you know, just, I just can't state enough how important it is for us to speak and hear through the lens of blackness. Right? I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I really enjoyed the book. It was such a light read. It wasn't too heavy and I enjoyed all the chapters, but I was particularly interested in the motherhood chapter as my son is how many months now? I think 13 months, 14 months, and he's crazy. And there's certain part of the book that you spoke about um, where you were talking about being um, having superwoman syndrome. And I have definitely suffered from that because I feel like if I don't do it, who else is going to do it? And that's the type of feelings that I've been having all f- well since he was born. That's even before he was born, all throughout I've had those type of feelings. But I just wanted to ask you for yourself, like, because I've struggled with how how do I organize myself? I'm supposed to be this superwoman, and I'm supposed to be doing all for myself and all for him, and potentially other people in my family. But how do I organize myself so it doesn't become so overwhelming and it doesn't feel like it's too much? Because that's where I'm at. I think, I mean, this is going to be quite personal because it is a personal subject and I've struggled with it a lot. Um, I speak about it openly in other places that I literally don't have any support. I'm doing it by myself. I literally have to pay for support. Um, And I'm very grateful of the the privilege that I have to pay for it, even though it's not a privilege to be out here by yourself so it's of course it's really hard to manage um I feel as if I've had a bit of a turning point this year or maybe I've changed my mindset around it and I'm like 
because of that superhero complex that I have and the love that I have for my son, I have mm-hmm. to make it work. I have to do something. He cannot be out here by himself and I cannot kill myself or do things that will eventually put me in an early grave because I'm trying to live up to this superhero complex. It's not going to work. So for me personally, it's especially with someone that doesn't have as any support really, family support, other spouse support. I don't have anything. So it's getting support elsewhere. So it's getting childcare, um, looking at the resources available to me. There are some. You can go to your local council to seek all the support that you can get. You can literally ask for, I believe as a mother or as a parent, you can ask for family surgeries. There should be them in every borough. So that helped me. And if we're speaking for a UK lens, that helped me. But especially as an entrepreneur and a mother and someone that's doing it by themselves, I have to seek support in other ways. So I recently employed a virtual assistant. Um, and that honestly in the last month has changed the game. But I'm like, is it still the same? Is it still January? Because what she has done for me has been game changing, even the way she speaks to me. And I have to highlight, she is another black woman. Lovely. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. And it's so, so helpful. It's almost like therapy. And I'm like, I've been through therapy. I don't have the time to do the typical therapy, which makes you relay everything. I'm not there. I I don't have the capacity for it. So I need to move forward. What do I need going forward? They usually say you either need a life coach or a therapist. I'm not doing either. I've got myself a VA. And that has made life so much better. So what I would say is reach out and ask for help, especially if you don't have support, especially if it's not the type of support that you need that you're being offered, go and find it elsewhere. And it doesn't have to cost money, but I think it does cost you your ego and your pride. Yeah, um, that and word obviously pride. your time mm-hmm. and your capacity. Um, yeah. so, you know, Although it's not always monetary, it can be emotional. So just be prepared for that. I think just having the knowledge and having the validation to seek that external support. Like I, when I first said that I'm going to get a cleaner, my family was like, what do you mean get a cleaner? We did it all. And God, like, as oh. if I... Oh, I'm so glad to hear it's, that. It's the pride. It's the pride. They can't let go. In this Despite in the this... fact that I don't get support. Yeah. Even when with them as family, they only want to mm. give it to me in certain spaces because, you know, I can't go too big or I can't get let my head get too big. Mm. These are the kind of things that I know that I'm not alone in dealing with, but I do feel alone um, because often we don't want to talk about the kind of traumas and how they represent themselves in our culture. So these are the things that I'm trying to deal with head on. And if I can speak about it openly, then maybe I'm helping someone else. So yeah, I always think seek support if it yeah. means monetary, if it means emotional kind of support, get it. I just want to say, I'm Thank so you. glad to hear you say that you've got a cleaner because we have some people on this podcast who clean and has got them in a spiritual bind. Um, so I'm so glad to hear Rachel's laughing. Oi. <laughs> I'm not against getting part of our cleaners. You know I mean, it's just like, if you listen to our previous episodes, especially this year working on me, the amount of times we've spoken about cleaning, I think it should be a challenge for us. How many episodes can we make it on this podcast without talking about cleaning? Because you people, not me, because I believe in a cleaner, I don't like to clean. I'm not even designed to clean. I don't think that's God's plan for my life. 
Wow. Apart from my body. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you say clean because I feel like black women do need to feel comfortable to be served in that way. Um, but that's just my humble opinion. I think there's one thing that I wanted to definitely reference. Um, and I know a lot of the conversation we've had is about including black women in the wellness space. But the cover of the book for me was was a you know I am the type of person I need help I can't walk past the waterstones without buying a book and I know that as a black woman walking past seeing this book on the shelf there is no way I am leaving without a copy it's such a beautiful beautiful cover can we just kind of talk about the process because even from my personal experience I know how political book covers can get the fact that you have this beautiful black woman she's got nice earrings her skin is good she's looking to the sun it's just it's just so beautiful like how how was that process for you? For me, it was a no-brainer. I knew what I wanted, and I knew I wanted that feeling. I wanted women to walk past it and feel seen, black women to walk past it and feel seen. I wanted black children to walk past it and be like, oh, that's cool, you know? Um so there was a lot that had to go into that in terms of representation. I I wanted it to be the whole thing about this book is I want it to be like a tool that can be just mm, as coveted mm. as like the Bible. Do you know what I mean? But for black women. And that might be a controversial statement to make, but I wanted something that was going to enrich us rather than tell us where we're going wrong or that we need saving from ourselves. Um, I, you know, I just wanted an alternative especially for black women, because I feel like we're vilified. I just have to go onto the news or to any news outlet to yep. see how much black women are vilified, especially the black mother and the black single mother. So I just wanted to make a reference for that. And I wanted women to feel seen and I wanted it to be beautiful and I wanted it to look carefree. So hopefully women that maybe are stressed out and they're going to a library or a bookshop to kind of escape, hopefully they see that and they see themselves in that. No, and maybe that's what we should will. be doing to escape rather than maybe turning to other people for validation. Maybe we should be seeking education or maybe we should be seeking escape in safe spaces like a, like a library or like a book. You know? yeah, definitely. There was one thing, because we're kind of going to come into the end of the episode, but there's one thing that really struck me throughout reading the book. And it was um, the kind of point that you made when you spoke to um, the experts at Black Minds Matter UK about women, Black women who are seeking out self-care for um, work purposes. So I think the comment was that like a lot of the times Black women are seeking out wellness, see the help them cope and succeed at, at work. And so their well, wellness journey is actually centering work. And I was really shocked by that. But then in a way, when I actually thought about it, I wasn't surprised. And I know you kind of said like the capital and um, the shackles of capitalism run deep, which they do. But why do you think it is that black women are seeking wellness as a coping mechanism or a way to to ensure they can succeed at work? I personally believe because it's the key to our survival. You know, if you look at the stats, you know, people hate these stats. And but I'm I'm not sure if you've seen, but there's a lot of stats in the book. Um, I need people to know that like stats don't lie, and the more we get them, especially in relation to black women and black people, 
I think the better we can serve ourselves. And one of the reasons why um, that is really important is because it's our mode of survival. We aren't the highest earning within our racial demographic for no reason. So no wonder we tie so much of, and I think it's identity rather than wellness, to work. Yeah, definitely. We need to support Mm. our wellness at work in order to continue because we have so many people riding on our backs, whether that's our family, whether that's our friends, whether that's our communities, and sometimes it's all of those things and more. It's our futures. It's our mm. we've got our ancestors in our thought process all the all the time. Yeah, true, we've got our future generational wealth that everyone wants to talk about, but our generational wealth is really in our well-being. Yeah. That is true. Because nine times out of ten, when I want to quit my job, I'm just like, oh, what about my children that don't exist yet? That's sometimes why I don't. I'm, I'm not leaving my mm. workplace because they owe me at least two maternity leaves. So much That's to unpack. to project. There's a lot to um, unpack with I her. saw a meme where it said, um, I wish pregnancy on everyone in 2023. And I thought, how dare you send that to me? Don't send that to me. I'm good with one. Thank you very much. We one and done, surviving. one and done. Yeah, we're surviving. And that's another thing that, like, it not just happens to black women, but people are so quick to be like, oh, where's your kids? Like, why have you not got kids? That's literally... Listen. But you didn't want me to have sex that long ago. So... Come, come out. It's, it's not, a mix. It's, it's a mixed right message. It's giving mixed message. Well, it's just, <laughs> it's just a violation, and I'm just not into it. I want to know: Do you have sex with your husband at your big oh. 50, 60? No, no, don't do it. So I, I'm brazen like that, but I, I, I wasn't. Oh, I like it. To, um, to sit down and accept. I'm sorry. There's, a, a, there's a bigger purpose. I'm, I'm out here by myself for a reason. I'm being taught a lesson. So. <laughs> Yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. This is the thing. There's like so many contradictions in what's expected of us as women. And like, you know, you've just said, oh, yeah, you're bracing. You'll just upset people. And I think it it really literally depends on the way the wind blows that day. Because what what was really what I like, what I loved about your book was how relatable it was in that. There wasn't, there, like, not all of the information was new to me. I, I learned some and then some I was just like, yeah, I nod to that. But the advocacy um, chapter really stood out for me because you opened with the, you opened with the idea that, like, no, there was a, not open, but the, it, the, early in the chapter, there was a phrase where you was like, you know, we're known to be bolshy or loud or, you know, and then I interpreted rude and all of that sort of stuff that they pin on us. And yet still we find ourselves silenced in these places that we can't speak. And it was interesting for me that you then brought in imposter syndrome because I feel like imposter syndrome comes from a place of like knowing you can, but not necessarily feeling that you're your best placed. But it was interesting how you linked the fact that imposter syndrome also impinges on our ability to speak up for ourselves in, in that sort of spectrum of self-advocacy. And so, like, I don't even know what my question is, but it's, you know, w- talk to me about that, about, you know, when when do we get to use our voice or why is it so important that, that we use our voices even when we feel like we don't have one? And just a pin to that, linked to that chapter and that reading was, 
the and we've spoken about it before in previous episodes, but the idea of healthcare, you you mentioned the, the, the healthcare example, but more importantly to me that stood out was how black men advocate for us and and whether or not that should be part of the piece in speaking up. I mean, why not? It should 100% be. Like, we do the same for them. We ride for black men that we've never met, met before. We have no link to. We see them on oh, the internet. Thank that's, you. We're, we're brothers. But we need to come back. It needs to come back. That's my personal feeling. And I know it's a fact, but I'll go with feeling right now. It's it's important. I think we should be standing up for each other. And we we deserve to have that reciprocated. There's all too many evidence that it's been one way for too long and that has called a, caused a loads of issues and continues to. So I do believe it needs to be reciprocated. I think it's important for us to learn how to speak up and most importantly to have the language to use because I think that's how we grow. You know, I think what's the difference between me and my grandmother? Why is it that I live this life and have this career and have been able to create this career? It's because she worked really hard, but also because I now have the language to speak up for myself, where she never had that. To the point where I, when I do use that, she'll curse me out for it because I'm going above yeah, and beyond. She doesn't understand it. But essentially, that is what has got me further. That's what has got our family further. That is, again, that's what I believe is generational wealth, is education. It's language, it's knowledge. So that's why I think it's really important. It's important to us as individuals, but also to us as a community and across the diaspora. But I think with imposter syndrome, I think we need to consider there's a reason why we struggle with it. There's a reason for imposter syndrome and women have it anyway. It's because we, the workplaces are not really set up for us. That's why we still struggle with said things like maternity leave and fighting for you know to have sanitary pads catered for in the toilets you know that we work in you know some people I go to places and they have it and I'm like god they think that they're doing such a good job but they are because that is one step further than other minimum you know I've been I've struggled at times in workspaces to have to tell my boss and sometimes not even a male boss a female boss she knows exactly what's going on to say I need to run out because I need to get to pick that. And the look on their faces. But you, what do I do if I bleed? You've got new furniture by it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why are we having this conversation? Yeah, that's kind of so, wild. Yeah. So to have, the, there's a reason why imposter syndrome exists, especially for black women. And it's because when we weren't necessarily meant, or these spaces weren't necessarily created for us. And that's why we struggle with them. It's, you know, if you want to look at stats, there's stats to prove it, that they weren't necessarily created. Workplaces weren't created for women, let alone black women. So we don't see ourselves in leadership. So we struggle with that. We struggle with having to fight for different intersections and our places to be in these spaces. Um, And they're not necessarily safe spaces. I'm yet to find one and I would I'd love for people that listen to this podcast to be able to share the workspaces that they do believe are safe spaces for black people. Yeah, they need to hit that me too. Cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. And to make a directory of it and let's all go there then. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's all put our money into that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's necessary because it's our daily peace of mind every day having to go and work and dwell in a place for eight hours that you don't like with people you don't like where you don't feel safe. 
And then the time you come home, those two, three hours you have before you need to wash underneath and go to bed. Yeah. Like it's not enough to compensate for the distress that you face. And also bearing in mind the anxiety that you suffered when you commuted to that place, knowing how your day was going to be. So I remember when I was more junior, is getting bathed and ready and going to work in an environment that was unsafe. That journey in was probably more distressing than actually being there, which is which is just kind of crazy. But anyway. We've come towards the end of our podcast. Um, so for anyone who wants to know a little bit more about you, a little bit more about thyself, can you just let us know about how we can find out more about um, thyself, social media handles, how we can, any listeners, if they've got any questions, anything, if they want to partner with you or thyself, um, what the contact details are? Yeah, sure. So I'm... Um... <laughs> I'm practically on every, yeah, sorry guys, I'm going to have to record this bit again. Yeah, nay, hold on. Okay. (laughs) All right, go on. So essentially you can find me on every platform. I'm across every single social media platform. My DMs are always open. And, you know, when it comes to resources as well, like feel free to hit me up. I have a whole team that put together these things. I have um, access to other communities and other networks. And yeah, this is, I feel like this is what my job is to do is to connect with people and to figure things out and share that knowledge. So yeah, my DMs are always open. Emails are always open. Um, yeah, you can find me everywhere. But also Thyself has a website, which is thyself, T-H-Y-S-E-L-F dot space. Um, and we're across all platforms as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so we've come to the end of this episode. I just want to thank the listeners for listening, for making it this far. And um, as always, please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to get the word out. Please like and subscribe to the podcast um, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, however you are listening. And um, separately, if you've got any questions, you want to ask us um, anything, want to raise any points, want to follow up on anything, you can be in our DM, slide into our DMs, Twitter and Instagram at uk. You can email us at blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com. And if you want to hear more episodes, find out a bit more about us, see pictures of what we actually look like, you can visit us at our website, which is blackwomenworking.com, I believe. Shan, did I get that right? I did. Okay, thank you. But um, Chloe, thank you so, 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 so much for joining us. And um, for everyone who wants to purchase a copy of the book, it is called Take Care, The Black Women's Guide to Wellness. It's available at all bookstores, Waterstones, Amazons. Please buy it from bookshop.org.uk to support the independent booksellers. Just have to pick them up. And yeah, Chloe, thank you so much again. And we wish you all the best, all the most amazing success with Take Care. And thank you again for writing such an amazing book for black women. We really appreciate you. Yes, thank you. And thanks to the cameo appearance by Zuri. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for being so patient. Thank no, you. it's totally fine. All right then. I'll see you soon. Bye. See ya. Bye. Okay, let me stop. <laughs>